Friends, would you open with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4? We're going to study just the last three verses of Hebrews chapter 4, but I want to start by reading in verse 11. We're going to get three verses that we talked about last week, and then we're going to continue through the end of the chapter. So I'm going to start reading in Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. Hear now God's word. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Friends, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, if you're offering grace and help in time of need, then we'll take it. We're here to receive that kind of grace. Would you apply that same grace to us now as we study your word together, as we seek to be changed by it? Would you prove yourself faithful in this respect? We ask in the name of that great high priest, Jesus, that you will do these things in his name. Amen. Well, friends, we've been studying the book of Hebrews for a while now, and we said that you could liken the book of Hebrews to a climbing expedition. We're climbing these mountains, and then we're looking down over the side of these mountains into these cliffs. We climb these massive explanations of who Jesus is. We get to the top of these peaks, and we just begin to impart, understand the glory of the risen Jesus. And once we get to the top of one of these things, we're invited then to look over the edge of the cliff and see some of the sternest warnings of the Bible. If this is who Jesus is at the top of this peak of encouragement, then at the other side of this cliff is what will become of those who reject Jesus and walk away from him. Now, the more you climb and look, the more you climb and look in the book of Hebrews, that effect can be kind of dizzying. It can make us lose our balance and lose our bearing in terms of where we are in this book. And so the reason I read the previous three verses is I want us to see this relationship between warning and encouragement, warning and encouragement. We had three verses of warning and now three verses of encouragement. We're taking one last look over this cliff of warning and then we're about to climb one of the greatest peaks in the book of Hebrews to describe the person of Jesus. And when we put these two things together, we realize how a warning and an encouragement are going to work together to draw us closer and closer to Jesus. Let's do that. Let's start with the warning that I read. I read verses 11 through 13. This is the tail end of that warning that we've been studying for the past couple of weeks. It's a look over this cliff, and we hear from God's word. When you hear it, when you hear God speaking, do not harden your hearts 
because God's word is like a hot sword that cuts through the butter of our pretense and our self-justification. Before God and before his word, there is not a single person who can hide. Every single one of us is utterly naked and exposed before him. That word exposed there in a Greek is related to a wrestling term. It means to take somebody by the throat. In MMA terms, this is like a rear naked chokehold. This is wrestling someone to submission and pulling their neck out and so that they are completely vulnerable. This is not a pretty picture at all when we come face to face with what it looks like to deny God's word. This is an absolutely serious warning. We understand, I think, how this is meant to warn those who don't know Jesus. If we haven't trusted in him, if we haven't heard and applied his word, if we don't follow him now, we hear something like this, and this warning is meant to drive us to Jesus, to trust in him alone for our salvation. But what about those of us who know Jesus? What if we profess him? What if we believe in him? How are we as Christians to respond to a warning like this that can unsettle us as believers. We're going to talk about a very dark paradox in the Christian life. Here's what is the experience of every single believer in this room. And that is, even though we hear from this passage, no creature is hidden from his sight, Every single one of us as believers feel this strange pull and urge to hide ourselves from God's sight. None of us would say this out loud, but in our sin and our shame, we can't help but want to hide ourselves. This is not something we would discuss with another person. This is not something that we would overtly or even consciously say to each other. This is intuitive. This is something we learn along the way. We understand this from our homes. If our earthly father is in a bad mood, this is not the time to have a nerf battle in the living room, right? This is the time to go do something that is silent and invisible. We tiptoe and we stay away. When we feel exposed and vulnerable before our Heavenly Father, we do the exact same thing. Nobody has to teach us this. Nobody tells us this. We want to find something that is silent and invisible so we're not exposed before our Heavenly Father. We do that now, and we have always done this as human beings. Do you know that there are 31, over 31,000 verses in the Bible? Over 31,000 verses. And in verse number 64 of 31,000, we read, And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Adam and Eve in the garden literally ran away from God and hid themselves in their shame. And humanity has been running and hiding from God ever since. Even as believers, we do this. Here's what I mean. When we sin, we pull back from God. In our sin and in our temptation, when our need for God is the greatest, we have this utter pull, this gut reaction, this greater response to draw away from God and to hide ourselves from him. Our sin, it leaves us feeling isolated, embarrassed, ashamed. 
We're mystified by the way our hearts can trick us. We're disappointed by the best efforts that we apply to our sanctification. We begin to despair that we're ever really going to change, and I mean truly to the core change, and we don't want any company in that feeling. We deny our sin. We shift blame for our sin. We swear up one side and down the other. We're never, ever going to do this same thing again. We get busy trying to do good things in our life so that we can bury the bad things in our life. And we wait to bring this sin to God. We wait. We wait till the time is right. We wait till the mood is right. We wait till we perceive that God has cooled off from his anger towards us or maybe God's forgotten about what we did in the first place. We wait until we need God for something and so we have to do business with him anyway and that's when we come to approach him. But we don't draw near in confidence, Hebrews chapter four. We look for a back door to get to God. We come to God and we come tiptoeing because we're afraid to wake the beast and come face to face with this kind of guilt. Or maybe worse, we're afraid that God is going to ask us to linger and find an intimacy that we're not comfortable with. We tiptoe to God. I know all this because it describes my Christian life this past week. I mean, you could chart these very things in my own life this week and this morning before God. I don't know what it means to run directly to him in our time of need. And if there was ever a wrong way to read and apply the warning found here, it's this. The warning is meant to drive us upward and onward into these peaks of encouragement of who the person of Jesus is. So let us let it do that this morning. Let us let it drive us up into these encouraging verses in 14 through 16. Look at verse 16. Over and against what I just described. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. The fruit of a well-received warning and encouragement is to approach God's throne with confidence. This is how I know the word is bearing fruit in me because in fits and starts, I am beginning to approach his throne with confidence. I want to ask two questions of that verse that our passage is going to answer. First of all, how does Jesus win this confident approach? How does he do this? How does he win our approach that can be confident? And secondly, how do we apply that? How do we then do it? So first, how does Jesus win our confident approach? How is he able to do this? Right now, we're not asking, how does Jesus save us? But how does he offer to a saved believer an approach before God's glorious throne with absolute confidence in our time of need? According to our passage, Jesus wins this ministry before God's throne in two ways. He does this through his transcendence and he does this through his imminence. That's going to be very clear to us as we look at this. He does this first through his transcendence. That, by that, I simply mean that Jesus is supreme and he's incomparable. This is the transcendent ministry of Jesus in verse 14. Look at that verse. We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. 
So we understand that Jesus is God, and Jesus has also, as the second member of the Trinity, passed through the heavens and is now in the presence of God. That's going to be repeated again and again in the book of Hebrews. In chapter 9, verse 24, for Christ has entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, I absolutely love this line. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the interplace beyond the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Jesus' ministry is transcendent. He passes into the heavens. From the warning we read earlier, we began to get this image of God's presence as a terrifying place, right? This is a place where you come before God to be naked and utterly exposed and to have to give an accounting for what we've done. That can feel like the loneliest place on earth before the throne of God. And I tell you that if you are not in Christ, it is a terrifying place of accounting before God. But that is not true for the believer. Jesus, he joins us to himself, he passes through to heaven, and now he makes heaven, God's dwelling place, a place of hospitality for the believer. You know that feeling when you go into a party or an event and you kind of scan the crowd to see if you know anybody there, you just want to see if you know somebody, you don't have to talk to them right away, you just want to know that you have a fallback in the room to go to when the small talk gets rough? That's a God-given desire in all of our hearts. That kind of anxiousness is a desire to belong, and God gives us that desire to prepare us for this community as a church and ultimately to prepare us for our place in heaven. While you and I are hemming and hawing like prodigal sons in the pigsties of our shame and guilt. Jesus has passed before us as a forerunner into heaven. He has adopted us as his children. He sets a banquet table and then he sits on the front stoop of heaven and waits to welcome his children home. Jesus has achieved the transcendent ministry of going before us and preparing our confident approach to God. Jesus has done this in the ministry of his transcendence. But not only does he do that, not only is he transcendent, supreme, incomparable, but he also does this in his ministry of imminence before us. He does this in his incarnation. He does this in his indwelling. He does this because he has made himself familiar to us and with us. We just spent time in the heavens in which Jesus has passed through in verse 14. Now look with me at verse 15. We read, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So we go to the Gospels and we study the Incarnation. The Incarnation is God becoming man. We understand that when we study Jesus and his time on earth, we're actually learning more about God. We study the Incarnation to learn about God. Do you realize that in some stupendous, unimaginable way, God in the Incarnation is learning about us? Do you understand that from this text? Don't press me on this point. Don't ask me questions about this. My head is going to explode. 
You have an all-knowing, never-changing God who becomes man in every respect, chapter 2, to better help us in every respect, chapter 4. Jesus' ministry couldn't become what it now is unless he had become who he was. Jesus' ministry in heaven is different because of the time he spent on earth. Jesus attended the school of hard knocks of humanity and he graduated to become uniquely qualified to sympathize with us, to help us, and to aid us in our time of need. I do not say this irreverently at all. I say this wrestling with the text that God has given us in some way, shape, or form. Before the creation of the universe, God said, this is my plan. I'm going to make humanity, and I'm going to save humanity. I'm going to rise from the dead, and I'm going to call a group of people to live in light of the resurrection, even though they're made in the flesh. I'm going to have them live a life in the spirit. And then God says this to himself in some mysterious way. Right now, I don't feel qualified to do that. And I won't feel qualified to lead this community to do that until I myself become created in the flesh and I myself live this life in the spirit. That thought so upends my life and my idea of the approachability of the throne of grace. I hardly know what to do with an idea like this. God in the incarnation, he comes to learn about us, to sympathize with us, to know us, and to help us in our time of need. What can you do before a God like that? How can you respond to something like that? Jesus is a transcendent and he's an imminent high priest and you need both of those things for a confident approach. If Jesus was just transcendent, if he had just passed through the heavens to prepare a way for God, that's fantastic, but he can't possibly sympathize with us as lowly human beings. If Jesus was only imminent, if he was a mere human himself, that's fantastic. He will make a great cheerleader and a moral example for us to follow, but he cannot possibly open our way to God. But Jesus is both. He's transcendent and he's imminent. He's the great high priest who has passed through the heavens, and he is the great high priest who is ever attentive to us here on earth. If that's true, If Jesus wins this confident approach, how do I then apply it? How do I put this thing into practice? How do I begin step by step to approach the throne of grace in this way? Are you guys ready for some weighty pastoral insight on how to do this? The way you approach the throne of grace with confidence is just to do it. The way you get there is just to start. The way you approach with this kind of confidence is just to bear this kind of confidence. Any voice that tells you now is not the right time to approach the throne of grace is not from God. Any voice, any single voice that tells you this is not the right time, this is not the right place, these are not the right circumstances, this is not the right sin because we've struggled with this for a while, you don't do this on the front end in temptation, you wait until you've stumbled, this is not the right season or the mood, this is not the time to approach the throne of grace, I tell you that voice is not from God. 
I don't know where that voice is from. I don't know if that's the devil. I don't know if that's your roommate. I don't know if you ate something funny last night and that's speaking to you. But what I tell you is on the authority of Hebrews chapter 4, that voice is not from God. It's going to take you and I a lifetime of discipleship to understand when we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Because I think all of us have a working definition of when the appropriate time is, right? And a lot of us kind of think that now is the best time to approach him. In these mornings, typically on Sunday worship, when everything's going well. We woke up early, we took a shower, we got dressed, we had a square breakfast, we spoke kindly to the members of our family, we showed up five minutes early to prepare our hearts for worship, we said the Apostles' Creed with gusto, and now we're still tracking with the pastor. If all of that is in place, this is the right time to approach God with confidence. And that's true, but not for any of the reasons you just said. But Hebrews chapter 4 adds other circumstances to that list of the right time to approach the throne of grace, and here they are. This is when you approach confidently. Whenever we need sympathy, whenever we feel weak, whenever we're tempted, whenever we need mercy, whenever we need grace, whenever we're asking for help, these are also the times we approach the throne of grace and we approach it with confidence. Waiting to approach God when you feel right and true and put together and your conscience isn't bothering you is like waiting to go to the doctor when you're already well. That's just stupid and it's a waste of a copay. You don't do that. In Hebrews chapter 4, God is saying, this is the time to approach me and to approach me with confidence. Friends, this is what we mean by a gospel community. This is what we mean when we throw around that phrase that gets overused and burnt out. A gospel community is a church that's understanding if this is what the throne of grace looks like, if this is how God responds to us in our time of need, then what does a community of people that surrounds this throne of grace, what do we look like? How do we begin to respond to each other? And this is what we mean by a gospel community. Any person, any time can confess any sin. Any person, any time can confess any sin and by God's grace, we are going to grab each other and run before the throne of grace with confidence. We're going to do that and we're going to do that together. Here's what we're not going to do. If a person comes to us with honest confession about sin, we don't do pity parties for those people and for ourselves. We we don't do awkward silences with these people. We don't do the self-righteous, I can't believe you're struggling with something like that or you're still struggling with something like that. We don't call a friend on the phone and say, I'm wrestling with so-and-so and I don't know how to approach such and such. We don't begin to define that person by their sin. We don't drift away from that person into another friend group or ask for a life group transfer or just keep a wide berth around that person in the coffee hour. We don't do any of those things. And that's a roundabout way of saying we approach the throne of grace boldly. We don't block it. 
We're not bouncers, we're escorts. We grab each other and we run to this thing because ultimately when a person comes to us and they make themselves vulnerable and they confess a sin to us, they're not ultimately interested in how we respond, but they want to know how God responds as illustrated through us. Hebrews chapter four is God's response. It's grace and it's mercy and it's well-timed help. Let's pray together. Jesus, make us this kind of church. Make us a gospel community that when people come and they confess and they are honest with sin and struggles, they take a deep breath and say, I understand from this community's response something about the throne of grace. You've offered this to us. I pray that we would live it and apply it to ourselves and to our friends here today. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.